0: Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. All right, this weekend, Sunday, we are hosting a professional development clinic in our Beyond Strength series at TC Boost. That's in Northbrook, Illinois, just outside Chicago. This one's actually called Beyond Sports the mentors we mean to be and it's all about intentionality in coaching so the mentors we mean to be are we being intentional and thoughtful in our coaching in our teaching in our parenting uh, any any time that we are trying to lead or mentor someone are our actions matching up with the outcomes we would hope for that's the big question we've got some amazing people lined up for it We've got Tony Moreno who's an LTAD expert. LTAD is long-term athletic development. We've got some really important people in the world of psychology. We have a guy named Phil Andrew who's a previous podcast guest, a hostage survivor turned multi-time captain of his college swim team turned FBI hostage negotiator. Incredible human being with an incredible story. He'll be a, a great keynote at the end of this. And we also have an important and necessary conversation and presentation from today's podcast guests. Maurice McDavid leads his community in a variety of ways. At 6'2", 250, he's a former college defensive lineman who's gone on to a career in education. He's in his 10th year as an educator and his first as assistant principal at a bilingual elementary school in DeKalb, Illinois. Before that, he was a middle school social studies and Spanish teacher and served three years as dean of students at DeKalb High School. Importantly, he's also assistant pastor and youth pastor at the United Pentecostal Church, which is actually the church that he grew up in. He's got an amazing wife and three amazing kids and understands the value of community. The conversation we have with Maurice today veers in a really, really important direction. It's actually the heart of the conversation we're gonna be having with him on October 13. That is a conversation on race, equity, and restorative justice. He is experienced and well-trained in those areas and recognizes sports as the perfect entryway to complicated but necessary discussions like those. I really hope people will put all judgments aside and take time to listen and engage with today's podcast. There's a lot to learn from coach, educator, and good friend of the project,
1: Maurice McDavid. If you think back, I don't. I don't know if you were on campus yet, and I don't think you were still on campus. No. Um, but I uh, started Gentlemen of Quality. Uh, I was one of the founding members of, of yes. GQ, yeah. uh, which is a multicultural fraternity on on campus. You started and, um, that? Yeah, I was w- one of the founding members myself and Lavar uh, Morel. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Who was class of? Uh, he was older 2009. Than you. Right. No, class of. Yeah, he was class of 2008. Okay. I was class of two thousand ten.
0: So I knew him a little bit, and yeah, right. I and I followed that. I must have seen that on Facebook or something like that, because right. that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so we started that. One of our recruitment videos though was um, uh, my Snuggie, um, and and so um, you know one of the verses said. Uh, you know it's that time of the year yeah it's time to recruit came to g cgq now you should be through no offensive to sigma chi and i'm cool with sigma new big ups to beta theta pi rocking the light blue teak is doing they thing fiji's getting it in too but are you them or will they try to change you now, when Ooh. you heard GQ, maybe you thought the magazine. And I guess that makes sense since our look is so clean. Rocking mm. Snuggies with the kicks. Our look is so mean. We brothers looking hot like never before seen. We gentlemen, we don't use language that's obscene. We getting girls like two and a half men's Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Yeah, I'm married, girl, but don't worry about the ring. Joking, baby. I'm just playing. I was saying it for fun. Y'all listening to the song? I hope you've caught on. You got choices to make. GQ should be the one. Then you can rock a snuggie like these gentlemen. Oh man, us, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How do we? Now, why I still remember that? I have no because idea. Because it's yet. one of the most catchy songs oh, ever. My one with a My, my, on my snuggie. My snuggie. So my
0: snuggie. So, were snuggies. you actually in snuggies in this video? We
1: were in snuggies. There are there are videos of us standing in front of old Main. uh there are videos of us uh uh you know standing out on the street corner at monmouth boulevard and and west street across from uh smack um at that sketchy Hmm. (laughs) that sketchy um corner store there yeah yeah. the quickie mart um and and times yeah so yeah i've been making music for a long time it's definitely something i do for fun Um, yeah um but I enjoy it, but
0: it but it's part of you. Obviously, it's part of who you are, and it's in that you've brought it to the classroom. You've brought it to the educational setting. Uh, before we go more into the methods, of, like your methods in general, I want to hear more about your background. Yeah. So, yeah, give me everything. We'll find our common ground in purple and gold in a right. second. But right. go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, um, was born in DeKalb, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised. Um, I always tell people, one of the very few black people who were born and raised in DeKalb, we have a lot of folk that move in from other places. Um, In fact, those numbers have grown just drastically, um, even since um, I've been out of high school, which was 2006. Um, Born and raised there, always did well in school. Um, You know, my mom and dad separated when I was about three, Hmm. Um, and... um, You know, my mom was an RN, uh, worked diligently to be able to take care of us. Um, She um, ended up getting sick on the job um, and so ended up going on disability Mm. when I was about um, 10 or 11. Um, And so from that point forward, you know, we we were, um, you know, Section 8 uh, link card, you know, Um, And it was really interesting, though, because I I think not in that traditional sense, because my mom was college educated. My mom had multiple, you know, degrees, had a a nursing degree and and certificate in, um, you know, respiratory therapy, um, but was sick, you know, and so um, um, or in in chronic pain. Uh, And so to this day, that's something that I think still uh, has been a really important part of my life. Um, When I was uh, eight years old. I uh, was invited uh, for the first time to the United Pentecostal Church of DeKalb. Um, that next summer, um, I went to this church camp, had an awesome experience um, with, with God, and have really that's really been a core part of who I am mm-hmm. uh, since then. Um, around the age of 12, my mom and I both got baptized that same Sunday. She kind of came into oh, wow. the church. Um, so you weren't raised no, in any church yeah? No, yeah. I mean, I, I was baptized as a baby sure, Catholic, sure. Um, but but we were CEOs, you know, Christmas, Easter only, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and so um, kind of my, my life really changed. Um, I, I'll often tell people um, that growing up, I had a major image issue, I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I looked at being raised in DeKalb, and um, being a young black man. And watching the news and watching the music videos, and like what I was supposed to be, right? So West West Coast Connection, Ice Cube. Mm -hmm. You know, think about that. I had the I had the khakis, you know, pressed, and I had the the flannel, you know, buttoned, you know, and I'm you know I'm crip walking, and you know, Mm. um, in Decal, okay, and and, uh, (laughs) but around the age of twelve, I remember sitting on a pew and filling. I called to, to to preach and and to go into ministry, and so um, I went, you know, and talked to my pastor about it, and really felt like you know God kind of called me to make a decision about what I was going to do with my life. Either be a gangbanger, <laughs> which yeah. was not going to fit me at all, honestly, right? right? I, right. Was, I was going to be the worst gangbanger out there. I'm right. telling you, like, pardon me, sir, I need that <laughs> yeah. money that you have. Excuse you know, like, I, it was it was not going to yeah. work. That's right, um, or. I was going to be, um, you know, this person who really was going to be able to connect with people, um, and, and try to help them in some of those difficult moments. And so, um, grateful that, that, that was the path that I kind of went down, um, um, you know, all all the way through high school, um, kind of battled with whether I'd go to Bible college or go to a, um, you know, secular, uh, college or university, um, and, uh, my now wife, her and I dated all four years of high school, mm-hmm. um, and um, she was going to go to Western, um, and I had been, you know, getting recruited from by, by Knox and and the man, notorious Gib, um, you Andy know, Gibbons, Andy the Gibbons, notorious Gib, right, yes. right, um, uh, you know, stayed on it. Coach Bonstead, guys like that stayed on it, man. And and um, when I went and visited, I was like, this is it. This is home. Yeah. You know, and so, and my pastor uh, affirmed that he said hey i i I know you could go to Bible college and do well there, sure, um but bible college post Bible college jobs don't pay well, <laughs> you right, know what I'm saying, right, so, right. so like you got to take care of your family man. Sure. And so um, he recommended that I you know go the secular college route, and then if after that, I wanted to do Bible college or sure you know so, something like that so um ended up going to Knox. Um, my wife went to western, we got married after our freshman year
0: unbelievable,
1: nineteen years old um still babies in fact when we when we got married um we just went like the next town over because we were going to take our honeymoon uh, like a week and a half later yeah went the next town over they did not want to rent us a hotel room because they're like you're under 21 yeah i I don't think you can you're under 21 and, and kids under 21 throw parties i said no, no no we just got married Yes, we will be the only two at this party. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Right. Like I'm, exci- I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This yes. will be like a part. Well, I don't want to get into too much <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> details. You know, but <laughs> that's right. Um, but so uh, you know, similarly, we, we couldn't rent a car down in when yeah. we went down what is Orlando. It 24? Yeah, 24, 25, yeah, yeah. You know, and so couldn't rent a car, and and I mean, just all types of crazy things. But that's amazing. We um we did a lot together. We we um studied abroad in um Spain wow. um for winter. How do you
0: coordinate that? between the universities
1: um so well okay so right that's an important piece she transferred to knox okay. so sophomore through senior year she was she at knox um you. and and so we were there in fact we lived there all year long, round um oh, wow. you know because if we went home we're, we're gonna stay with one of our moms like you yeah. know so yeah, we yeah. worked it out with the college that we were able to stay there mm-hmm. we paid like 500 dollars for the summer Wow. Um, to, yeah. to be able to rent that the, place. Because they have, the, I remember, the married units. Right, right. Yeah. right. Um, well, and, and yeah. so, so, so they, they had them. Basically, they would talk about them, but all they were were the senior apartments. You know? oh, so right? we stayed in exec. You know? And so oh, like, wow. um, you can stay in exec or you can stay in Hamblin, yeah. um, and we'll call it married housing. Yeah. I got a card at the beginning of every year that said, your roommate's going to be samantha mcdavid huh? there you go i mean (laughs) yes that that wasn't (laughs) my top choice but whatever you know um (laughs) tried to get dre in there play the cards you're dead yeah exactly um so that's funny um but yeah we we studied abroad uh together barcelona for um that winter term that's so cool um she was part of woi which was a multicultural sorority that was started Mm -hmm. around the same time as gq um you know we did a lot of stuff together um Attended a church down there, and we were very involved there. Um, and uh, which church was it? Uh, we were at Apostolic Tabernacle. How, um, would I, how would I find it? It was on. Um, this is for, this is purely for me. Yeah, it was on um, on North Street. Um, so because uh, there's some beautiful old churches in that. There are, like, like there are, just, yeah. In fact, so the pastor who was there um, had been pastoring there over 40 years. Oh wow. Um, had been there over 40 years. Um, he was uh, 80, you know, some years old when he retired. Um, but one of the things that that I, you know, commonly share about that man because he really left an impact on me. Um, uh, he's since passed away, um, uh, but at one point in a conversation, he was talking to me and his his grandson, and he called uh, he called us boys. Mm-hmm. I'm 18 years old, you know, and this yeah. man has, you You're know, about been preaching. Married. Yeah, this mm-hmm. man has been preaching longer than than I've been alive, you know, yeah. and um he came back to me though, and he humbly said, "Hey, I did not mean that in an offensive manner," mm-hmm. recognizing that there could be that racial tone to mm-hmm. it. He said, "I didn't mean that in an offensive manner." Here, here was this again, this grown man, yeah, 80s, you know, 70 some years old, pastor in a church. He he could have he could have said, uh, "He knows I didn't mean it," or he could have you know walked away and played that power and position but he humbled himself and and apologized to me this 18 year old kid who had just gotten to his church and um, I never have never forgot that and I, I try to remember that when I'm dealing with yep. first graders who maybe my tone wasn't right maybe maybe there's something I need to do uh, to make that right so
0: I just I have to pick up on that before we even get into your career as a college football player and all the other cool things you've done. So that immediately, what you just said, reminds me of one of the most interesting conversations um, that I've been a part of recently. And I hope, I, if, if anyone feels uncomfortable talking about this, let me know. But um, there's a book out, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Have you heard of this? Yes. Did I tell you about, you talked uh, about that? We talked time? about it, yeah. yeah. And, and what you just said is, is so much at the heart of this book. It's like, it, I, I think what he's trying to do, the author's trying to do, is separate the idea of uh, essentially that there are there are racist acts, there are racist policies, there are racist language. There's all like that exists, um, and to separate that from the heart of whoever the human is who is performing these things is an essential compo- like element of the world. Like we've got to bring the conversation there. Um, I I don't know what's your take on that. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. First of all, like like you can do something that's wrong. And if you if you if you jump to the idea that, well, I'm wrong, I've done something bad, and usually it's not the first person, but the second, you know, pointing out the behavior, if you can separate the, the heart of the human from the behaviors of the human behaviors, that could change tomorrow. And isn't that what we want ultimately?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I, I posted something on social media not too long ago just talking about the idea that um, when I'm engaging in a conversation with somebody about racism, about race, and their response, their their individual responses. Well, I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it 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 um, it seems to be a sense of ego, to, uh, e- e- um, egocentrism, right? Mm-hmm. That somehow because you, the individual, are not racist, mm-hmm. that we shouldn't have a conversation about racism. Mm-hmm. Racism is not um, uh, largely; it's not about individuals, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and, and again, for your uh, for your answer to be, I'm not okay. But I'm not even talking to you about you right now. Right. If right. you're not even the victim of racism, right. For you to bring the conversation back to you says, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very egotistical. Yep. I want this conversation to be about me and about how I feel. Right. And again, I think that feeds into a little hmm. bit of that yeah. those ideas of of um uh, fragility um yep. and and feeling like you know, well, I had somebody say to me, well. You know, the white male right now is just taking a real beating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Do you are, know American history? I, I, there you, are do, groups on Instagrams so, that you know that's a real thing. You know, like Facebook groups. Oh, always. yeah, uh, but poor, poor us. There's
2: rights yeah. yeah. yeah, activists. Yeah, and and
1: and again, that's 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 fine. I I think that on, unfortunately in systems you'll see inequities in, in sure. every in which direction that's right but to pretend like history has not had a definite <laughs> right. direction right in which it has sent its injustices right is nonsense yeah so again I'm not necessarily calling you out the individual right um and don't make this about you the individual there you go let's let's engage in the conversation a little bit beyond just you and even beyond just me yeah um you know I got the opportunity the other day to present. Uh, to our, our sheriff's department, we had a situation that really created a racial um, firestorm in our community. Yep. Some police interacting uh, with a, a black male uh, while arresting him, chokehold, tasing, all these types yeah. of things. Um, and you know, one of the things um, that I really got a chance to to mention to them was like, hey, I need you to understand we're we're talking about. Like all of the anger that you see right now, it's not even really just about this one event or this right. one occurrence. We're mm-hmm. talking about the pattern of behavior that has been established um, throughout um, the history of this country. And so now, if you'd be willing to just hear that, yeah, that's that's going to begin to close that gap that, that you see, you know, and that sense of distrust.
0: That's really so. interesting because it's that's so true. Follow me on this. We, I mean, we've had conversations about this before what like if you can separate it from the issue like one singular injustice like you never get protests and uprisings and and all these things um because someone shoplifted you know there are minor injustices all the time i would not put some of the interaction between um police and civilians minor i wouldn't call that minor but it's not even like you say the singular interaction it's the fact that so much has gone come before this that there is a narrative that is that there's an undercurrent here and maybe you you know this is just something that sort of bubbled up and has given us all the opportunity right. to talk about right. it and, and bring these things to light Absolutely. which which is and and again which is why this this uh, conversation is a complicated one but also a necessary one because we should this is my take on it we should see every single one of those cases case by case. Right. Obviously, uh, I don't think it would be fair to say police are inherently racist and or, or or in like you said, it could go in any direction. Right. Um, So the individual cases need to be handled individually. But why is there such a strong stance on some of these terrible such, when it comes up um really wrong? And I won't cite anything, but there have been plenty of these uh, police civilian interactions that have been freaking like, how is this even still going on in the world? Right. You know, right. Um, that is start, has, has started a narrative that feels like it's been been brewing and necessary for a long, 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 long time.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know. Again, um, j- just that idea that um, it's it's not about you know individual police officers, mm-hmm. um, but but I always come back to this idea um, that oftentimes um, we we've, we if we're realist about history. Mm-hmm we know that there were police who actively pursued and, and hurt black communities um, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I think I can make that statement and a lot of people would agree with it.
0: Yeah, well, I think that is a thing that happened.
1: Right. <laughs> so, that, yeah. But I would also say it happened in the 70s. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you ask people in LA, they'd tell you it happened in the 80s. Without a doubt. And if you ask Rodney King, he'd say it happened in the 90s. So now, all of a sudden, the question becomes, when did it stop? Mm-hmm. We hit 2,000, and all of a sudden it just stopped. Right. Obama became president, and now it's gone. No, no, no more of that, guys. Right. So, right. so, so, so the fact is, is again, while individual police officers work hard to build that relationship, mm-hmm. let's look at again. Uh, you know, one of the things I said again to 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 the sheriff's department was simply, if your policy and protocol protocol says that what happened in that video was correct, mm-hmm. then the question is, how do we fix the policy and protocol? Because that's where it is. It's not in in that officer. Sure, that officer followed protocol. Mm -hmm. That's fine if that's what you want to tell me. Then how can I join the table to make sure that the protocol changes, right? Right. Um, You know, I've said it simply. The idea that um, a police officer really is uh, allowed that opportunity to protect themselves if they perceive a threat. Sure. But what if historically Mm -hmm. I could tell you that black men have always been perceived as a threat? Mm. Now, that means that at any time that police officer, <laughs> because he is, feels threatened, right, has yeah. the right to protect himself, and I walk in the room and I have made him feel threatened merely by my presence. Yeah. Now, some people say, no, that's not right, that's not true. Well, let's go back to 1921, the first movie with critical acclaim called Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. In Birth of a Nation, you have uh, this, this white actor in blackface, who is going around stealing white women, and then the Ku Klux Klan comes in to save the day. Mm. What image was painted right there? Right. The black man as a threat. Mm-hmm. What image is painted in our our, our, our main uh, music? Right. Right? I, and right. again, I get it. You might tell me, but 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 Maurice, that's black people making the music, man. I said, absolutely they are, because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody's buying it you know right, what I'm saying? right. so that's somebody's not, buying so so whoever's making sure. it and, and this that but if the images on cops and on the news and and the images don't go to the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. people die there
0: yeah
1: right that's the image that's consistently put out there then when I walk in the room and I'm not in my shirt and my tie yeah that I wear you know most of the week but it's Saturday so I'm in my hoodie and my my J's right do I, do I look like a threat? And now all of a sudden, how they're protected. I'm, I'm about 6'1", I like to say. You know how much do on you a weigh? Good day, about 255, two, 260. I'm not going to lie. It's about 260. <laughs> <Thank laughs> well, maybe before we had those tacos, 255. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, you bring up such an interesting point. I wonder what the language is. Behind those that law, like like, I, I, is this something we could pull up, Alex? Do you think? I don't, I don't even know if it's possible, but you know what I mean, like, yeah. What, um, because that is an interesting narrative. If, if if it's perceived as threat, is it, um, perceived as lethal threat? You know what I mean. There must be some kind of yeah. distinction. I don't know it, but so I so. Oftentimes,
1: the way that it's written, you know, obviously Florida has the stand its ground rule, you know, which is a little bit different. Um. Uh, or stand your ground rule but oftentimes the way that it's written is that you're able to use the level of force necessary Mm -hmm. to subdue the threat yeah right but again it goes back to that word threat and that perceived threat right and that's where you get officers who have who have ended up shooting and killing somebody who was unarmed they get off because they perceived a threat and 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 let me be very clear yeah it's a hard job
0: it is a hard job it's a hard
1: job man and so I'm you know, I I love our school resource officers. Yeah, um, I feel like they do a tremendous job. I, I uh, one of my best friends at the at the um, at my church uh, is an officer, uh, and I I hate doing that because it feels almost like well, I had a black friend in college, You right. know, That type like, of thing. I, 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 got, I got I, I know <laughs> yeah. police officers, yeah. um, but I do I do respect you know the work that they do, especially when yeah. it's done well, 100. Um, percent um, But I see a larger issue and and looking at, okay, how can I be aware of these biases and yep. actively fight against them?
0: It's really, yeah, be aware of the biases and, and actively fight against them is, is, I think, a really good way to say
1: it, because yeah. the
0: awareness is the key, right? I, I, it is probably safe to say that the majority of police officers are not terrible racist people trying to, trying to hurt and kill people. That, right. That's probably safe to say. But you could, it's also safe to say that, that one of 100 is, is way too many. You know what I mean? So, no matter what the number is, right. we got to figure out how this, this continues to happen. Um, maybe look at and potentially adjust the policies that allow people to you know, maybe get off without some sort of repercussion or right. allow these sorts of situations to build. They're also, I'll, I'll, I'll skew slightly to the psych side, and I want to come back to this and then ultimately, obviously, get to where is the place in athletics to have these sorts of, of conversations. But I, I think about this all the time. Because I do think one of my good friends, and you, you know him, Kevin Corley. Yep, to, you played football yep. together. He's a police officer. It is If you are in a high crime area, regardless of what, who you are working with, race, color, it, it, it doesn't matter. If right. you are in a high crime area, um, would it not make sense in the way that we are all built like biologically to perceive threat, to, almost, like, to be edgy? And I'm not even saying like, even to stereotype, although the brain is sort of a pattern seeking machine mm-hmm, and tries mm-hmm. to stereotype and like, this is just what the brain does. And right. I'm not saying it's good, but but this person looks like that person. That family member looks like, I see the family resemblance. You you sort of batch process. Now we are, we, that, that's sort of more in at the interior brain. And, and as we sort of evolve, you, you'd think and hope that we could distinguish and make the more thoughtful, advanced level decisions. But um, I think of, of Kevin for it, just to sort of humanize it and say, okay, here's a guy who's, who maybe he pulled an all-nighter. He's a firefighter, too. This, okay. I mean, he's exceptional. This is a different sort of human he is. He's, he's like in football doubles all the time, just working, working, working. Yeah. But So he's on duty. He's, he's sleep-deprived. I could tell you what that does to the brain. He is in a high-crime area. I, he's so, sort of always at a low, simmering level of stress, you know what I mean, and alertness, nonstop. Right and i'm not and maybe i'll dehumanize it for the moment because i don't want to guess anything but the idea that a guy in that situation a state of physiological deprivation you know it is a deprived state a uh, heightened state of stress always even if he's not in direct threat how could your perception be accurate enough to in a split second decide Make life or death decisions. You know what I mean. So I want, I'm thinking policy level too. Maybe there's also not only does the language need to be changed as when is uh, excessive use of force appropriate or not, um, but also I, I think some systematic policies like should someone be out on a 12-hour beat, or I, I don't know what it is, but all of the I, I think it's such a complex issue that to not look at it piece by piece and as accurately as seemingly possible would be a miss for everyone involved.
1: Right. I
0: I, I think you got
2: it. You got some. I got some stuff that might. Throw it in there, That's Alex. What you're saying. Uh so there is no well, there is no federal rule in terms of use of force. It Isn't varies state by, by, state? Department. by department. Uh, by department. Yeah, it says so broadly speaking, the use of force by law enforcement officers becomes necessary and is permitted under specific circumstances, such as in self-defense or in defense of another individual or group. There's no single universally agreed upon definition of use of force. The International Association of Chiefs of Police has described use of force as the amount of effort required by police to compel compliance by an unwilling subject. Officers receive guidance from their individual agencies, but no universal set of rules governs when officers should use force and how much. Tell
0: me if I'm getting this right. To compel compliance from an unwilling... Read me that part.
2: Amount of effort required by police to compel compliance by an unwilling subject. (laughs)
1: that leaves the door pretty wide open yes that's a problem
2: yeah
1: and again so oftentimes uh you know the state police will come in and they'll set a standard um so for example with this case that happened in in dekelb um the police chief um of the city police sent it off to the illinois state you know um for review and then Mm -hmm. ultimately the um, state's attorney, you know, gets to make a decision and, and yep. report back on on what they think um, was done and whether or not, again, it was by protocol. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I just come back to that idea um, that that who's involved in making those protocols, mm-hmm. um, because off you'll hear police say, "Look, I got to get home," and I understand. I I do have a cousin who's a police officer in Chicago Heights. I said, "Man, I want him to come home." Yeah. I want him to come home. Um, every every shift that he works, he's almost sure. ready to retire. Every shift that he works, especially now, come yeah. home so you can get to that retirement and go do your thing. Even though he did go to Monmouth, I I, I do Cancel still the love podcast. him. I know, <laughs> I do still love him, and I want him to come home. Sure. Uh, so, but I want my younger brother to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm 31 years old. I've never once had a negative interaction with the police. Mm-hmm. But my older brother and my younger brother have had enough for both of me. I mean, right. you know, have had uh, have had enough for me. Yeah. Um and 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 so um I I again I just I think about how do we involve that civilian voice on that panel understanding I don't have the specialized training. Sure. And I don't I I I don't, you know, I've not been on a ride along. Um I'm hoping to get a chance to do that and to to, mm-hmm. to see some of those things and get that first-hand experience to help um uh shape my viewpoint as well. I yeah. I I recognize I never wanna come to a situation and pretend like I know everything, Mm -hmm. but I do know that your brain and my brain is better than either of our brains alone. Individually, that's right. right. And so if we can partner together on this, um, then then that's what we gotta do.
0: And that's it, and that's the theme as far as I'm concerned is like how to have this super essential conversation in ways that aren't exacerbating the polarization that we already feel. Is right. that fair to say? Yeah. So okay, that maybe that's a, a good lead into this. Um, you played football. Yes, You've sir. been part of teams. You understand the value of sport and like w- what a unique social situation that is. There there are goals and, and motives that don't exist in other spheres of life. There are bonds that are happening implicitly. Explicitly, and as a result of the cultures created, that are—it's just so unique in the world, really. There's no classroom that can mimic a football field, as far as I've experienced, at least. So, in that space, that really powerful space, yeah. How do we? How would one have? How would you suggest we have a conversation on race and equity in restorative justice?
1: Yeah. So, I think that's a really powerful question. Um, you know. I've, I've been a part of sometimes when it's been done really well mm-hmm. uh, and I've been a part of some times where where um, it, it has not been done as well um, you know I had a coach um, say something along the lines of you know inside this room uh, there is no black and white there is only one color and that's black and orange um, which is actually two colors <laughs> which made us all laugh <laughs> and kind of kind of ruined the situation but, yeah yeah um, but again he was attempting to to sure. Um, point out this idea that you know hey we're, we're all barbs here mm-hmm. um, and as much as I value that, I think it's it it's somewhat foolish to um, eliminate the idea that there are a lot of different people coming from a lot of different mm-hmm. backgrounds and cultures and 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 linguistic uh, foundations that are coming to be a part of this team yep. Um, and, and that culture, when we talk about culture, that can be, you know, culture because you're coming from Colorado and I'm coming from totally. the cornfields of DeKalb and you're coming from North Shore and and whatever it may be, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we definitely know that we are getting more and more in, in our schools, these diverse mm-hmm. um, populations that are coming together to to play sport, right? Um, and, and
0: would that be a case of... Um so we, we have an event coming up called the Mentors We Mean to Be. That's all about intentionality, and and w- where where that idea picks up is um, really what sounds like. If I'm reading this story correctly, that guy probably had really good motives. It sounds like He's, right. It sounds like his heart was in the right place, and and what we've recognized is that to change the world, it it can't. That sadly, that's just that can be the spark, but that's not enough on its own.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think. Uh, again, to, to go into that concept, um, of intentionality, mm-hmm. I do think we have to be very intentional. Um, we have to be okay with the idea that there may be, um, some discomfort, but, but one mm-hmm. of the things that increases learning like nothing else is trust. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I was, uh, again, I told you, I was listening to this, um, uh, uh um, webinar on the way in today, um, and uh, Zaretta Hammons, um, who is the author of uh, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain, um, one of the things mm-hmm. she talks about is we know a lot about cortisol, right, and and the impact of that fight or flight and mm-hmm. kids that are coming in um, constantly under stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that actually eliminates cortisol out of the body, one of them is exercise. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Right? So so you're playing football. The other one is a chemical that is produced when you have trust with somebody, mm-hmm. and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. But when you build trusting relationships mm. with people, it actually pushes cortisol out of your body, mm-hmm. and 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 it's and and then helps you to perform at a higher level. So so inside of the classroom, right, we see that as that teacher-student relationship, but also that student-student relationship. The same thing when we're talking about when we're talking about building uh, 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 powerful relationships, yep I know that there's there's some folk who believe that that's this new age nonsense, right um, you know they got to know the X's and know the O's and, and as long as they know that no no mm-hmm. what I'm telling you is um, is that if I trust the guy next to me mm-hmm. right if that guy means something to me, right I mean all the way back to like Spartan armies yes, right? Spartan armies. I'm you're you're partnered with that person and yep. you're building a relationship with that person so that way I'm going to battle for you. That's it. Um uh the, the US military, mm-hmm. right? That 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 unit right there, your group, it's about relationships. And when you have that relationship, again, it, it's actually able to push out that cortisol that might naturally build up throughout a game because maybe you're down seven, mm-hmm. you know, and then the time's running out. But I, I, I trust that guy right there and, yes. and that positive, right? And so some of the things that can get in the way of that trust is well he's black and black people are lazy hmm. right I, I mean right yeah Be, you bring so, the narrative so to even, the table yeah e- even if it's not something you're actively saying out loud mm-hmm. if this implicit bias is showing up somewhere and he dogs it on a play and you guys got to run an extra sprint yeah now you're putting these connections together so being purposeful yep in and building those relationships Cross culturally, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I I think um, that comes up sometimes even more than race is that socioeconomic status. When you talk about the kid who paid to go to Nike camp, yeah, and and the kid who um, you know missed some weightlifting because he's working a summer job to help pay for mom, right? Now they're on the same football team. Mm -hmm. How can I? How can I transfer what I got at my paid Nike camp to my team to make sure that we're all doing uh, what we need to do? Um, I think you know, in terms of some of the other conversations um that you can have um on on the field of play
0: can i interject right for you yeah yet? don't forget what you're about to say because i bet it was magical okay i got okay, it don't forget i just want to there are a couple of things so one one is i have to say this don't please don't think i'm nerding out here but i'm trying to figure out what that could be that the, the chemical in uh, in response to trust if, if it, it might it might be oxytocin um, which is like, it. is it? Oxytocin. And, and and so it would probably for, if, if there are any nerds out there listening, it probably doesn't flush the body of cortisol, but shuts down the production of it and sort of there serves the counterbalance. That's for the three nerds that actually cared about that distinguishing thing. So, <laughs> uh, but, but there was another thing that I just can't leave yet. And that idea of playing for a teammate instead of against a rival is like, I'm getting choked up. Just thinking about it. I'm sorry. Because, I, I mean, I'm in the middle of it. We're we, he, Alex and I are both coaching football seasons. We've all been around it for years and years. They're, they're, a really popular narrative is we're going to beat them. And that's fine. Look, I'm not, not competitive. In right. fact, I think everyone who's been around me would recognize that. If I lose in a game of two-on-two basketball, my day is different for at least an hour. Okay, <laughs> So like, I'm, I'm not saying right. that, that the outcome doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you might even, if you're just interested in performing something, I'll tell you right now, man. I'm getting. I don't know why I'm getting joked up. I'm. I'm getting jacked up. I could run. Like if someone were to come in this room right now, threatening in some way, I would care more about protecting myself and you guys than I would about whatever my hatred for the intruder would be. You know right, what I mean? Right. And that concept couldn't go step by step. I'm. Sure you probably would play harder for the guys in your D line with you than you would because you like. You just hated the guys that were playing on the offensive line across from you. I I I just think there's such an
1: opportunity in that. Think about senior nights. I like it. Not not your senior night. Do you remember what the chants were? Come on, guys, this is for the seniors. Mm -hmm. Why why can't we have that mentality every game Mm -hmm. all year long? Yes. Right. Not just on senior night when all of a sudden we decide we got to get one for the seniors. Yeah. No man, all year, all year I'm playing for you. Now again, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go cliche here, Give but this us. is my favorite movie. 20 years ago, like yesterday or the day before it came out, I'm talking about Remember the Titans, right? That was 20 years ago. That was 20 First years ago.
0: First of all, I feel very
1: old. Yeah, I don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. it. Um. But uh, but, but especially because 20 years ago I was already in seventh grade. It's not like 20 years ago I was you know you know just in preschool. I was already in mm-hmm. seventh grade. You know. Anyway. a
0: book report on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But but one of the things that he does right he's purposeful he mm-hmm. recognizes the current situation that they're in mm-hmm. he says you will spend an hour every day with a teammate of the opposite race yeah you will get to know that teammate mm-hmm. and we will do triples until you have met with every teammate that you know <laughs> the opposite co- i could quote the whole that movie now I, pretty I, much I was, verbatim right yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying he's getting beat like he stole something you know what i'm saying <laughs> um, uh, um but but, again, there's, there's just that, that intentionality mm-hmm. of building relationship because it's, it's very difficult when, when, like, no, I know that person. I've eaten dinner at that person's house. Right. Right? When, when Bertier's mom finally gets to a place where she's willing to let Julius come in. Yep. And what does he do? He gives her a, big, a big hug. Big hug. And, I know. and Right? And it's like this Hallmark-ish, Disney-ish moment. Yeah. But that's real. Something to it. There, there, there's something about it, absolutely, because once you sat across the table from a person, right, and and you you've gotten to know that person, now I can no longer say, well, all black people are this, all white people are this, mm-hmm. but not all of them, because what about right Bertier? At least Bertier isn't that way, right. or at least Julius isn't that way, and we can begin to engage in these conversations maybe that's the just sort of the wedge to whatever. Prejudice might exist
0: to start now thinking again as a human instead, right. instead of being reactive, completely right. reactive. Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was just gonna say. Yeah, where you um, go You know, in terms of uh, restorative justice. Um, man, uh, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna get back to that. I, I just right. wanted to say real quick. In terms of that relationship piece, yeah. the other thing that relationships do, um, and Zeretta Hammonds talks a lot about this, is that relationships allow you to push somebody Mm -hmm. if you don't trust or if I don't trust you and you push me yeah I feel like you're trying to hurt me Mm -hmm. but if I trust that what you're doing is best for me Mm -hmm. right then you can push me Mm -hmm. but I want you to think about that kid who who's who's kind of that edge kid right and you yeah hey you missed that play and there's not that relationship there they shut down yeah they're they're ready to quit Yeah. But when they have that relationship with that coach Mm -hmm. that says, I know that this coach has what is best for me and this team in mind, you can push that kid and they're going to stick with you. Yeah. And that relationship's got to be constantly being renewed. Yeah. Um, I was going to say real quick in terms of the restorative justice piece, you know, um, restorative justice. Uh, differs from that traditional concept of, of punitive justice or retributive justice mm-hmm. in the idea that you're asking not who did it and how do we punish them, but yeah. you're asking wh- what harm was done and how do we repair the harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to think about the difference of that. Yeah. In, it's an in, in an and important that team. Distinction. Yeah. In that team. Um, because again, when that coach says, Hey man, I, I, I need you to think about your decision Saturday night at that party. Mm-hmm. Who did that hurt? Right. Who did that hurt? Now I can make you run sprints all day long. Sure. Number one, they're not always going to connect the sprints to the behavior. Right. Um, even the most advanced kids are not doing that necessarily in their in their brain. Mm-hmm. But but um, but number two is is it's not really um, uh, I mean it's not really holding that kid accountable. Yeah. I need you to think about who your decision hurt. Number right. one, you 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 you're suspended ten percent of the season mm-hmm. because you're suspended ten percent of the season. Who's who, Somebody else has got to try to step in and fill the role right. that we expected you to have. Somebody's right. now got to go play, play both ways. You know, Somebody's got to take care of something. And so that idea that we can uh, instead um, say, who did you harm and, and how do we repair that harm? Mm-hmm. How do we make it right? Um, whether it's through that apology, um, whether it's through... Again, that that reflection, it's through community service, it's through I'm running the water bottles at the game even though mm-hmm. I can't play and I'm giving back to this mm-hmm. team. Um, it it takes those relationships that otherwise remain broken. Right, Man, we lost this game because you did that. And it takes those relationships and it begins to mend those relationships and puts them back together. Which again, if we're gonna talk about that idea of, of um, culturally responsive teaching yeah. being based on, on again, that, that ability to get to, to cortisol, um, or not cortisol. What did we say? It is, uh, oxytocin, oxytocin
0: counterbalance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that, that, that becomes really important.
0: Okay. So you just, I'm interested in a, um, so I don't know the numbers on this. Maybe I should, the, the, the rate at which we imprison people here is unique in the U S is that, is that fair to say? Yes. Globally.
1: Uh, the highest in the world.
0: (laughs) And I wonder, and I'm not saying sports are at fault for this clearly. But when we go for that one to one punitive, you do this, you run sprints, if that's our only exchange, it, it w- couldn't you imagine that the 40 million plus people who are involved in those atmospheres might think that that's the way I don't know that that's the answer. I'm just saying and maybe maybe this lends itself to our discussion. Um, but if we teach people that we're, it's not about wrong and punishment, wrong and punishment, right. but Who was harmed? How do we make it right? Right. And your idea like what is such a it's so much more compelling, you know, and, and the ripple effect of that for, you know, when, the, when those young people, you talk about sports teaching life lessons. Right. I mean, that's a lesson for life. That right. changes lives.
1: The other thing that, that restorative justice does incredibly well, um, and I think it goes right to what you're talking about, is it builds empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of a sudden that person has the opportunity to see that my actions do not impact only me mm-hmm, right it takes them again out of that ego Eagle, egocentric and again you talk about high school yeah i don't know that there's a more egocentric time yeah, you talk definitely. about uh ncaa uh, division one sports yeah these are kids who whose egos who ha- have been fed mm-hmm. uh, for, for a very long time right um because you've always been the best yeah at what you do no doubt but if i can get you to recognize that your choice to 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 smoke marijuana hurt. Look, let me let me let me take it all the way to the NFL. Go ahead, Antonio Brown. Yes, sir. I, I don't know I don't know <laughs> if he's ever taken time to think about. Oh no. His choices impacting more than just him. His choices impacting other folk, and so. But if we can get an athlete to begin to recognize that it actually builds. A sense of empathy. Um, uh, in fact, um, there's some research done on restorative justice um, uh, out of the maximum security prisons uh, in in England, um, and I could send you the link for this video. Um, but he talks about the fact that that you take he took these people that would have been considered sociopaths, mm-hmm. right, who lack empathy by definition, right? Um, they're, they do the brain scan. Their amygdalas were underdeveloped. Yeah. Right, because that amygdala plays a role um, in in that sense of empathy through the restorative process. Meeting the the, the families of victims, <coughs> they actually saw over time through that restorative process that that amygdala began to grow and develop right because they used to think that neurogenesis or uh, you know cerebral genesis or brain brain growth stopped mm-hmm. after a certain age but we recognize True. now that we're we don't grow nearly at the rate that we do you know from right. two to three and then again at um and, and and puberty but um that there can be continued brain yep. growth and development and so they could actually see that amygdala change um through right. the use of and what of sorts sort of things were they doing to do that um, so again, uh, uh, oftentimes meeting with, with families um, of, of, victims, of victims, you know, right? of, of the victims and, and getting an opportunity chat. to to go through that restorative process. What happened? Um, uh, what were you thinking at the time? Um, who or what was harmed? You know, and, and that opportunity to really make amends face to face with somebody that was hurt by your actions. That, that idea of Look looking looking, that yeah, looking a human in the face and recognizing that it was your behavior that negatively impacted them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm, I'm all for a, a a coach saying to a player, right? You want to talk about accountability. Mm-hmm. Sprints, sure.
2: But when that, when,
1: when, when that player stands up in front of the other, you know, 40 members on that squad and says, I owe you all an apology. Um, my behavior was unacceptable and it negatively impacted this team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you talk about accountability. That's it. That literally is direct accountability. We talked a little bit brain here. We
0: talked some psych, some, some neuroscience, touched on it only really. But um, to have an understanding of, of the group that you're working with, like the adolescent athlete, to think about like what would be more powerful. You talk about like, you know, there should be sor- some sort of repercussion, some obvious repercussion for the actions. So what I was saying was um, to recognize that um, one more sprint, although it's momentarily challenging, I guess, for a young person, if you're an adolescent to have to stand up and confront your shortcomings in front of a group of your peers, I mean, that is almost definitely the harder of the two, you know, if, if, given the choice, wouldn't you think that that a lot of call it proud teenage boys, say on a high school football team, just given our experiences, if they were given the choice to run a couple sprints or stand up and kind of be vulnerable in front of the whole group, I think they might choose the sprints.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think hands down, they would, um, and again, I've, I've uh, argued this approach for a long time um, just because again, I, I, think, I think if we're talking about effectiveness, right? Um, and I'll compare the, the running extra sprints to suspension. Um, is it effective, right? Mm-hmm. And, and let's not give opinions, let's talk facts. How many times are kids who are suspended Then suspended Mm -hmm. a second or third time right right. and so if you're talking about you know what we would refer to in the in the criminal world as recidivism right Mm -hmm. That re repeating uh repetition of behavior um and you think about some of the kids that you've coached that have had issues they don't have just one you know they they so so what are we doing um i think to to really get them to learn now is restorative uh, is restorative justice gonna fix it the first time? No, but it's going to at least put some 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 life lesson into it, other than just here run an extra sprint. Um, I, I do think that oftentimes we gotta follow that up though, mm-hmm. with continuing continuously cycling through that relationship building that is a part of culturally responsive teaching and leading. Um, and so trying to figure out, you know, how can I how can I connect to this? Right. Um, uh, again, one of the things Zaretta Hammonds talks about um, is um, the idea of individuality versus collectivism. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually this this scale, and they you know kind of rate whole whole countries by it. The U.S. is a 91 out of 100, and uh, in, towards individuality. Mm. Right. So we are an incredibly individualistic society. But when you look at the ancestral traditions of of um, you know out of Africa, out of Latin America, they tend to be, um, for example, Guatemala uh, is down in the 20s hmm. um, where there is a little bit larger sense of this collectivism. Sure. Um, when I think about building a team, as much as I want that individual working, right, how can we really work on that culture of collectivism too um, where where I am because we are and right. we are because right. I am, you know, and um, uh, really building in those cultural pieces and understanding um, that if we build this this culture um that that includes players and parents and community that that we are building something that's that can be very strong you know i
0: love that what if we were to have you come in and like talk to our team hypothetically for a listener yeah like what would you or what's something they could do like how do you even broach the subject is, is it a matter of comparisons and metaphors to the team that you know like so, you're talking about
1: yeah you know i i, I do think um, I do think sometimes coaches are, are hesitant. Um, there, there are people whose opinions are sports is the only place we get to escape. Hmm. And so because we're in sports, let's just do sports. Um, I, I think that I would be, uh, okay. Saying that the good athlete project does not feel that way, that, that we're missing out on opportunities. Um, by just by, by way of being called coach, there are some kids who are going to come in and are going to trust you yes. and you're going to be one of the most important voices in their life. Yeah. Such that if something happens in your community, <clears throat> surrounding race, mm-hmm. surrounding police interaction, and you don't address it, yep. it says to them that the person I trust most does not find issues that are issues for me mm-hmm. important. And I don't think that's the message that most coaches intend to send. Again, maybe they're thinking to themselves, I want to be able to just do football. Right. I get it. Yeah. But this kid doesn't see you as just a football coach. Right. For me, and I gave Andy Gibbons a shout-out Shout out during um, graduation from college. I was our graduation speaker, our class speaker. And for me, Andy Gibbons was like a father figure. Yeah. For For somebody whose dad... Was not around. Maybe saw one college football game. Yeah, it meant the world to me when Andy Gibbons said, "You had a good game, McDavid." Like yep. like that. So, but it also meant the world to me when when we sat and we talked about some things outside of football. Sure. Some things that were important to me. He came and heard me preach Didn't on a Sunday really? morning. Yeah. So again, when you talk about like like you know building those those relationships, um, you got to be willing. Yeah. to engage in those hard conversations. So sometimes it's a matter of something that happened at school, something that happened in the community, and allowing that to spark the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just something that maybe you, you address in your team policies. As part of our team, um, we, we will not make racial jokes. We will not make sexist jokes. There, there yeah. is no, quote-unquote, locker room talk on our team. We, we are, you know, caring and compassionate to all people at all times. No doubt. Um, and
0: could you not extend that also to a coaching staff would be my next thing. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to jump on your idea there because I love it. And any coaches who are trying to pick this up and, and find some really usable thoughts here, it is, intentionality requires this. Like, you, you have to decide what your intention is, right? You have to have a goal. It comes back to our cornerstone concept of does your behavior match your goal? If your goal is just to have sports be sort of an escape from regular life, I mean, I guess that's your prerogative. Like you could do that, right. right? And you wouldn't be bad necessarily for doing that. You were right to assume that we think there's so much more potential in the space that to just do that would be a miss. Yeah. So yeah. that feels like a real takeaway. Does your behavior match your goal? Uh, if you want, if you expect a certain sort of behavior from or a certain sort of language to be acceptable or use or whatever from your team, You've got to say it. You've got to name it. Include it in the language of the mission of your team. Make it very explicit. Don't leave it up to the 16-year-olds to kind of figure it out and do what's right. I want to extend that, though, really importantly, I think, to the coaching staff. Look, as a head coach, say, so this is a shout-out to all the head coaches. Assistants, bring this to your head coach because that's where it has to be started and adopted. Like, let's not use this in the locker room. Let's change the meaning of locker room talk. Let's not say you know, like you said, any any um, racist, homophobic, sexist, let's just not use that kind of stuff. Let's be, uh, you know, a 2019 high caliber thinkers. Let's be evolved human beings and not talk like that. Because the real truth is, if you talk like that as a staff, whether it's a whisper or just every so often the kids pick up on it, like you said, a coach is not just a coach. Could you imagine if Andy Gibbons was like, you know, and, and and one of two things would happen. You either would have probably broken your relationship, the the important relationship that you had, or, and I don't see this in you, but, or you kind of pick it up and maybe you mirror it in some way just because you don't know any better. And your mentor is doing that.
1: Right, right. You
0: know? So I think it's, it's definitely a trickle down effect. You, and we don't have the luxury as coaches. I, I don't want to go on a rant here. You don't have the luxury as coaches to just coach football, to just coach soccer. You just can't if you if that's all you want then get good enough to do it at the professional level because you can make the
1: argument that that's a business but if you are in a school it is education and and even at the professional level i'm arguing you're taking 22 year old kids, kids who have yeah. come out of uh, have have come oftentimes out of very difficult situations. Yes. Who, if you're not going to be the one to help them and to guide them, even even at the professional level, if you're not mm-hmm. going to be the one to help them, they're going to wind up in a situation, right where where. Uh, they, you know, I remember Garrett Wolf. Man, uh, mm-hmm. ran up a ten thousand dollar tab at a at a bar and then leaves and gets arrested. Right? I, I mean, just but but like somebody's got to say, hey, don't do that, don't man. Do you know, that. like like yeah. like, like I, I get it. That's not X's and O's, right? But but if you want them it's to show up for the X's and O's, you gotta you gotta prepare them for the rest of of life. You um have to. if if and- if you are Superman and your name is Tom Brady, and you are going to play football until you are 47 years old and you're playing at a high level, even at 47, you got 40 years left of life.
0: We talk about this. you got to be ready for the – yeah. That's, that's best-case scenario by a long shot. Right. So how are you prepping for life? And you bring up – you're right. I didn't want to let the pro coaches off the hook. Yeah. So you're right on that. And, and even when you think about – so um, the Bulls we – I was just over at the Bulls facility the other day um kobe white playing bulls draft pick he is 19 he's a child <laughs> you know what i mean he's got more money than probably the three of us have combined and may ever have i don't know but uh but he is a child and if you are not as a coach taking the time to educate that young man uh and Th- then you lose comp, him as
1: a player right so even if you say even if you say i just i need kobe white because we're gonna win as a right. as a franchise he won't be available as a player right if you don't help him as a man, fair, right? I mean, I, I mean, because because well yeah. you, you get into trouble, you get you know in the situations that that you shouldn't be in, and now you're not available to play the game because you've made some bad choices outside of the arena. That's right. So
0: that's very right. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. And I and I hope anyone who's listening, who I hope everyone has enjoyed it. And if they, a couple things, first of all, if they want to hear more from you, they can join us on October 13th We're gonna, like I mentioned, be hosting a clinic. At TC Boost, it's just north of Chicago. Uh, it's a great training facility, a lot of good people there. Uh, TC Boost, it starts at 2.30. It's got NSCA CEUs attached to it. It is going to be a great, great day. I really hope you don't miss the opportunity to hear from Coach McDavid in person. Do you, How many people call you Coach
1: McDavid? Uh, I still got a few. A lot of my All guys right. that, I, that, that I coached um, have now graduated high school, you uh, know, now that I've made the move into administration.
0: So. Fair enough. Yeah. But not coaching
1: college. Well, that's true. That's true, right? <laughs> that's right. GA fall of 2010, yeah. Look at this guy.
0: So if you want to hear more, I do hope you'll join us. For those who can't make it, where can they find you? You're on Twitter, I know.
1: Yeah. So I'm on Twitter uh at AP McDizzle. Unbelievable. Um, I can't believe that
0: wasn't taken, first of all.
1: <laughs> no, no, of course <laughs> yeah. not. Uh so yeah, at AP McDizzle um, on Twitter. Um recently done uh some podcast a podcast with NPR Teacher Lounge um wow. from WNIJ out in DeKalb. Uh, and then um working on some 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 other things uh as well. Uh just wrote a post for uh James Burroughs the third um talking about um restorative justice and its place in education. So love it. Yeah.
0: Well I'm telling you I could not be happier to have you here tonight on board with the project, and I look forward to what's to come.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for... Uh, having me for letting me be a part of it, and I'm looking forward to being with you guys again on the 13th. I appreciate it, man. This week's episode is brought
0: to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover, it is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order and I recommend it, use the code goodathlete for a discount on checkout.